The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. Before we get started this morning, I kind of wanted to just bring out a few things about uh, the story, this accounting of the woman in the well. We were talking on Tuesday just about it and the things that were taking place. And I think a couple weeks ago, uh, Tony had a map. And uh, when we were chatting about that, uh, just that they needed to go out of their way. So keeping in mind they went way out of the way. Keeping in mind that when Jesus goes there, he meets this woman, and I talked about these barriers that were there, this uh, uh, gender barrier, there was a religious barrier, an ethnic barrier, a moral barrier. Here, Jesus is a teacher. She's a sinner. And so just all these things that were against him. And I, I got to thinking, you know, so John starts out his uh, letter uh, just the testimony of who Jesus is. Then the next thing you see is he's collecting his disciples. The next thing is he starts the ministry. And when he starts his ministry, he starts with Nicodemus. Then he goes right to this woman of Samaria. But think about the ministry that he began and what he's doing. We, when we were talking on Tuesday, Aaron brought up the fact that you know, this is, uh, this is like a huge learning curve for everybody that Jesus is talking to because they start out, Jesus is talking about, and they're around natural things, but uh, what did you say it was? Uh, Basically, was saying that they're really having two different conversations. Two different conversations? Yeah, like... They're they're having Jesus is talking to people and they're they're kind of having two different conversations. So Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born, reborn, and it's a spiritual birth. But he can only think about physical birth. Then he's talking to this woman about water, and he's saying, "I have something that would quench your thirst forever." And he's talking about spiritual water, and she's thinking about physical water. And then his disciples come back and. They're talking about food, and he's talking about something completely. He's always talking about spiritual things, and the people that he's talking to always are thinking in physical terms. And so there's like there's like there's two different conversations going on at the same time. I don't think that sometimes I don't really even think that that's uncommon today when we are seeking the Lord and He's saying things to us and we're interpreting them a particular way. You know that. I was thinking about that just the other day. I was thinking, like, how often is God speaking to me about something? And I maybe I think I hear Him, but when I think I hear Him, I'm thinking in my own terms, in my what I from what I understand, instead of asking for Him to show me the spiritual significance of what He's trying to say to me. Good stuff. All right. So last week we stopped off in Jesus revealing to this woman that He was the Messiah. 
And then so beginning now in John chapter 4, verse 27, it says, Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to see him talking with a woman, but no one asked him, what, what, what do you want or why are you talking with her? And then verse 28 says, So what happens is that she just leaves her water jar, and the woman went back into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did, which I think is humorous because... Everything, you know, kind of this exaggeration, this woman seemingly exaggerating, but yet the impact it must have had for her to think, if he knows this about me, there's, he knows everything about me. And then she then poses the question, could this be the Messiah? And so verse 30 says that then they, the people of the village, come out of the town and they made their way toward Jesus. Now, something to consider is that, unlike Nicodemus, he, got, he was around and he saw the miracles that Jesus was performing. This woman, she had no knowledge of who Jesus was. She had no knowledge of these things going on. And yet, this really seemingly quick encounter with Jesus, uh, it changed who she was. She believed what Jesus said. She believed him at his word. And then when she goes back into the town... Um, she is um, not going in there to tell the people what to believe. Or she's not trying to really teach them about any spiritual truths. I mean, she is simply telling them what happened to her. And this really encourages them. And then she encourages them, well, just come, come see for yourself. And then it's like, you know, come and then you can make up your own mind whether this one that spoke to me is a Messiah or not. And when you think about it, it would have been ineffective for this woman to try to gain any ground with the town people, trying to teach them spiritual truths just because of her background and who she was. It'd be like, you're the, like the last person in the world I need to listen to concerning anything that's spiritual or religious. And so her challenge to them was simple, just just come see for yourself. And one of the things I want, to, want us to think about this morning is the power of a testimony. Because really, it was her testimony was enough just to stir curiosity in their hearts that would cause them to even go out to see. Now, another thing about this that is interesting is that the woman, when she's talking to Jesus, she said, well, I've, I know that when Messiah comes, he's going he's gonna, to cause us to see clearly. I know that. But it's interesting that it's not just this woman that knows that. These people must know that too. They're, see, they're some, otherwise they would have just flat ignored her. You know, I mean, in our culture today, you could go a lot of places and say stuff and they just dismiss you because they don't believe it at all. They haven't heard it about it at all. So they say, which is always interesting to me, because I already know that no matter who you're talking to, Jesus has already had some conversations with them. Let me, let me say that again. No matter who you're talking to, I can tell you very clearly, Jesus has already had some conversations with them. They might not know. So, so if you think with me, you know, God is at work and God is always working. And so people today, they have this, they have this draw in them toward spiritual things. They have, they have this draw in them toward God. They just don't know it. 
Uh, just look back in your own life before you were ever a believer and consider how often it was. Maybe you were like me and you were never raised in church and didn't know anything about Jesus, but there was this certain conversations would come up and all of a sudden it's almost like God would just kind of hijack your heart, hijack your thoughts. might just be for a moment and there's this draw toward spiritual things. In which we know, of course, Ecclesiastes said that God has set eternity in the heart of man. So this woman, think about it, uh, her testimony stirred them. And here she is. This woman is, she's a brand new convert. She just immediately had believed, and it shifted her enough to go back to the town to go evangelize in her town, right? This woman effectively evangelizes her town. <laughs> okay, so she just heard. She's still living with a man outside of marriage. She knows almost nothing concerning truth, at least sound doctrine that would cause people to understand the reality of really who God is because Jesus says to her, you guys, you guys don't even have the whole story. You guys just believe the Old Testament. You don't even understand all this over here. How could you really have the whole picture? So she's got no training into how to share her faith. She doesn't know any of those things. And yet she effectively begins to reach a village simply by just telling her account of what Jesus said to her. Simply just sharing about her encounter with Jesus. She witnessed to them about her encounter with Jesus. And that's, again, that's the power of the testimony. I think sometimes we complicate it. Uh, even now, when I'm out and I bump into people, I'm not really walking through Scripture in my mind as much as I am sharing what Jesus has done for me. That's, I think that connects with people more than anything. You know, when I run into people and I do it all, I do it all the time, run into somebody that maybe they're caught up in a lifestyle that uh, is just uh, ruining their life. I don't, I don't start out quoting scripture, I start out sharing my story. And I can remember when I first became a believer, I can't tell you how many people came to me that said, uh, I figured that, you know what, if God could do that for you, He could do that for me. See, there is in people this longing. If people don't know Christ as their Savior in them somewhere, there's a disconnect in their life. There's a discontentment in their life. It's there. And it doesn't matter really where they are, socially, economically, where they are. It's there. Promise, it's there. So what she did in going to the town is just something natural. She just began to share what affected her life. And so she tells them in verse 30, uh, 29, look, you just come see for yourself. And then in verse 30, uh, here the town comes out and they were coming to Jesus. Anybody got any thoughts about any of that? Nobody? All right, so let's look at verse 31. I like this. It says, and meanwhile, <laughs> I was reading somewhere, or maybe I was, uh, I don't remember where I 
saw it, but it was kind of had this heading, Meanwhile, Back at the Well. <laughs> Often, you know, we see it in TV shows all the time. You'll see this, you'll see this scene over here, and this is what's going on. But at the same time this is going on, over here there's another scene. They cut to another scene. It's kind of like, kind of like a play. You know, you go to a play, you sit there, the lights go out, they go dim, and all of a sudden the curtain raises, the lights come on the stage, and here's the scene. And then what happens is, then there's a change of scene, so the curtain goes down, then the curtain goes up, here's the next scene. And it's telling the story. It's helping you get a, a, a bigger picture about what's going on, and I see this so often, you know. Here we see, you know, you could... Here's Jesus and his disciples at the well. Jesus saying, I'm hungry. Here, you know, the curtain raises. That's the scene. Curtain drops, curtain raises. Now there's a woman at the well talking to Jesus. Curtain drops, curtain raises. The disciples are back from town. The woman leaves, right? Curtain drops, curtain opens. It's the woman in her town. Curtain drops, curtain raises. Now... It's Jesus and his disciples are at this well, and Jesus begins to engage them in conversation about spiritual things. And so, I love it. So, meanwhile, back at the well, the disciples are urging Jesus to eat. So, here are the disciples, they went, we know that they went into the town, and they had come back, that, in my mind, the the picture I see is that they've probably drawn water, probably spread out the food, and they're ready to eat. And they're probably, you know, that they had gone into town just specifically to buy food. And so they're back, they're hungry. I'm sure Jesus, they're thinking Jesus is hungry, so they're probably waiting for Jesus to bless the food, or at least to start eating. But apparently, neither of those things happened. And so, you know, they're encouraging, hey, Rabbi, uh, you, you need to eat something. And so, you know, they're, be, it would be natural. Look, we, we ran to get food because you were hungry. We're all hungry, so how, com how come you're not eating? So they seem to be puzzled about it. And we read that they, they, they're wondering, well, did somebody give him food while we were gone? Did that happen? Is that why he's not hungry? And Jesus says this, so he had seemed to, you know, he's not hungry, so it seems that he had forgotten all about his physical hunger and thirst. And so they're asking him about, well, did somebody give you food? In verse 32, he begins this conversation. He says, well, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So it seems that this encounter with this woman, you know, filled him with this joy, this satisfaction that his desire for the other things, he just he forgot all about the being hungry, being thirsty, and being wearied. And so this opportunity here is like this teaching moment for Jesus. And he's going to begin to teach them like he has been from his from with Nicodemus to now, and what we're going to see through the Gospel of John, we see it all the way through the Gospel of John. Here's something natural, but I need to help you be aware of something spiritual that you do not see, that you do not yet understand. And he says to them, look at my food 
is to do the will of his, him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus, in my mind, he's saying, I, there's a spiritual sustenance that uh, I have. See, because there's this other food, there is, a, there is this other satisfaction that takes place in my life, and that is doing the will of the Father who sent me. So he wasn't telling them, look, I'm just, I can go without food for however long. That's not what he was saying. He's wanting them to know something about him personally. Now, again, um, chronicle this if you were to take a chronological Bible and, chrono, uh, and, and you were to kind of put this into a time frame, this is early in Jesus' ministry. And early in Jesus' ministry, he's trying to let his disciples understand something about not just who he is, but, but about what moves him, what, what really drives him. And basically he's saying what really moves me, what really drives me, what really brings satisfaction to my life is doing the will of the Father. And so I think we know this, I think we kind of understand this, but sometimes I think we forget it. There is living life, and then there is living life doing the will of the Father. Very similar and yet very different. And I don't think that we can be, you know, often, uh, you know, we'll read through scriptures and we'll be critical of the Jews because they were so blinded. We'll be critical of the disciples because how come you didn't see that? And yet they're just living life out, right? It's coming to them. It's, it's in real time. And, and we find ourselves, when we're starting to live life in real time, we back up and go, oh my goodness, how did I miss that? So we can't really be critical here with the disciples. They're, they're living in the moment. They're doing what they were supposed to be doing, what they knew to do. They went to get food because Jesus were hungry. But in the process, in the normalness of what they were doing, God was doing something that wasn't normal. So they're in the natural, but... God is supernatural. So there's the natural world, the spiritual world, and we got to know that God is always doing something. God is always moving. And so something had shifted, and Jesus begins to tell them about spiritual things. There is this shift in what they needed to be doing. So they're buying food, they're going into the city, but now because of what God intervening in their life and in the life of this woman, the narrative changed. Now there needs to be something different taking place, and Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand something, uh, understand something that they do not yet see. And what he begins to do, in my mind, he just really, he's modeling out what it looks like to be about the Father's business. I just kind of want to pause a little bit here because uh, this is real in our lives. Jesus is just, he's going from one place to another, right? And then all of a sudden, he's like, you know what, we need to go through Samaria. Disciples, it, that didn't come through to the disciples, that came to Jesus. Now we think, we like to think that Jesus had all this ahead of time, maybe not. Maybe he was getting it in real time, and he was just modeling out for the disciples, what does it look like as you're living your life, being aware of the Father's will? 
I think that's good for us. What does it look like in our life, living it out, and yet at the same time being aware of the will of the Father? Being aware that we're a believer, that we're lights in a dark place, that we're called to be witnesses of Jesus, that we're ministers of reconciliation, because I think we forget. We, we just, we're living out life. And so, what's it look like living this life out and then the nudge of God? And then following the nudge of God. I don't know how to say it any differently because sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it's pretty clear, you know, God interrupting your life saying something to you to kind of shift it in some way. And other times it's like, you're not really sure. You're just, you begin to move in a different direction. And I'm sure the disciples, you know, at the onset of this whole thing, I'm sure they were asking, hey, why are we going that way? I mean, that's like uphill all the way. Why, why do we got to go that way? And it's interesting that Jesus didn't say anything to them there. I'm sure that in my mind, he was just saying, look, I'm not sure, but I know this is what we need to do. And so we're going this way. I don't have all the answers. But yet here, he tells them now, and he says this. He says, hey, you guys need to understand my foremost purpose here is to do the will of the Father which I think just really opens up this discussion for him to help his disciples understand what Jesus' mission was and what their mission was. So for us, you know, we just begin to live life out, but there is living life and then there is living life being aware and knowing what the will of the Father is. And so often... I think in our life, our days are familiar. How many think you just, you know, you get up, you go to work, you come home, you eat, you do whatever, you go to bed, you get, you know, it's kind of the mundaneness. You know, maybe sometimes in our life we just think uh, our days are uneventful, but maybe they're not. How often is it that maybe we're like the disciples, unaware maybe of what God may be doing around us, right? So again, the, the disciples are just, they're living life in front of them. They're following. They're just doing what's in front of them. Totally unaware of what God had been up to and what God was doing. So he turns their attention to them and he talks to them about their mission and he talks to them about the will of the Father. He says, look, my will is to do the will of the Father, which really that should be your desire to do what God wants. And then he says, he equals that up to really the heart of the Father is the mission field. If you want to just uh, cut back to the simple, what is the heart of the Father? It's the mission field. It's the harvest field. Is it the harvest field of grain? No, we understand that it is the harvest field of souls. Now, so the curtain raised. Here's Jesus. The disciples are at Jacob's well. If we know about history and culture, 
there would be a well that would be dug and fields would surround it so that workers could come to the well to get refreshed. So that if they needed to take water to the field, it was close. So if they needed to feed their animals that were working in the fields, it was close. So Jesus and his disciples are at this place and all around them would have been fields. So you've got to have this picture in your head. They're standing there with the crops all around them, and then he says to them, he said, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. Yet I tell you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are ripe with harvest. Now, what, what, I don't know if any of you, you got, got any kind of thought when you first read that verse, when you first hear that verse where Jesus says, lift up your eyes for I tell you the fields are white with harvest. I'm sure the disciples are going purely speculative that uh, the fields around them weren't white with harvest. He's challenging them. He's drawing them into this conversation. He's drawing in this conversation about what their mission is. And their mission is the harvest. But the harvest, again, he's not talking about physical crops. He's talking about the harvest of souls. And we read it all the way through Scripture. We see the analogies all the way through Scripture. I remember... Uh, well, I think I'll skip there. So there's two commands that Jesus is talking about. He gives him two commands. He says, lift up your eyes and look. Lift up your eyes and look more closely. See, because just like the disciples, just like us, God could be doing a work around us, drawing people to himself, and we are clueless. So, here's my headspace. You think about tasks that you're doing, you're living your life every day, and you're just, you know, you're just, you're doing what you think you should be doing. Jesus just pauses him and he says, yeah, yeah just, you kind of, you kind of getting this wrong. What you need to do is you need to lift up your heads. You need to be aware you need to keep looking around because, now, it's so telling. When I said that, uh, you know, when you're around people, uh, I can tell you that Jesus already talked to them. Jesus says to them, he says, I can tell you now the fields are already white unto harvest. And I can tell you today, I don't really... I don't really care what the enemy's trying to do today with trying to, the, in our culture today that has gone so far off course, right? So um, cancel culture, so anti-God. Well, we shouldn't be surprised by any of that. Holy cow, we know. We've, it's been written a long time ago. All this is going to happen, and it's not going to get better. It's going to keep getting worse. But yet, in that, the fields are white with harvest. Why? Because God is at work in the lives and the hearts of people. So, and sometimes it's the, 
so Jesus chooses, kind of like the, who would have who thought Jesus would have chosen her? If you're like me, who, I would have never thought that God would have sought me out. Matter of fact, everybody that was around me that was a believer before I came, became a Christian, they thought the very same thing. He's lost. That guy just going straight to H-E double hockey sticks. There's no passing go, no nothing. He's going, he's going straight there. There's no hope for that guy. I think in the story, it should be helpful to us in so many ways. First of all, that sometimes Jesus takes it out of the way and it's not always easy. Also, sometimes where we are, where we find ourselves. Because see, for the disciples, they found themselves there. They're following Jesus, they found themselves there. They're, they're moving and doing what Jesus wants and they find themselves there. In a place that they would normally not be. Involving themselves with people they would normally not involve themselves with. And Jesus says to them, hey, you need to lift up your eyes and look because the fields are white with harvest. So it is the, sometimes the, in life, finding yourself just the thinking uneventful, just, just passing through mentality when... We really need to be, this has really challenged me. Uh, we really need to be maybe a little bit more aware. We need, to, we need to share. We need to see that there are opportunities that God is opening up for us in our lives. Any thoughts about any of that? Anybody? Oh my goodness, y'all quiet today? Oh, finally, thank you. It's interesting, uh, it's a good reminder, you know, we so focused on this life, our schedule, and we got to do this, we got to do that, and invariably, sometimes I feel I should share, but I, you know, you think, oh, I got to go do this and that, and I think it's a good reminder to say, hey, and in, in, in our heart, I know that, to be able to share, or say, just take a few minutes to, to talk to somebody, what the Lord has done and not so what if something doesn't get done that day but we are focused on the food right now gotta do this gotta do that and just may the Lord help me just to be more focused on him and say okay take this opportunity forget everything else that's good somebody else Not sure if I was supposed to go ahead and read ahead, but I did. No, you're not <laughs> supposed to go ahead and read ahead. Stop it! It's just it's it's very cool the way he talks coming up about one sows and one reaps. <clears throat> and I think there's a couple buddies I've been talking to about the Lord for a long time, for a long, long time, um, and I'm not always the greatest example to them about a follower of Christ, but I keep talking to them about it and. 
sometimes I feel a responsibility to see the whole thing through. Like, I got to get them to that place. And I lose myself realizing I'm not the one that's doing really any of this. It's, it's really God. So we have an opportunity with the harvest to be somebody who sows or reaps. So it's like, it's kind of cool because you can be just having conversations like Naldo was saying, just opportunities that God drops in your life to share with somebody. And you might not ever see anything come of that, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I get to thinking here, we get to see this kind of, it's an immediate, immediate response. There's this immediate fruit. And he was talking about you know, um, people that he'd been talking to through a long time. And I get to thinking, I was, our reading plan, we're in Matthew, and we just got done with, uh, within the last week, about the parable of the sower. You know, some walks out around the path, and the devil snatches it away. And I get to thinking, sometimes we think, well, you know, I've talked to that person before. I've planted a seed. Well, look, if you planted a seed and the devil took it away, you know what they need? They need another seed. Logical? Throw another seed and the devil takes it away. What do they need? They need another seed. So we need to just continue to throw seed. Any thoughts? Uh, Angelique? No, uh-uh. No, you got to do the microphone. What what difference does it make whether you're on a microphone or you're not? You want to walk? You want to stand behind the curtain here and do, yes, do your story? Absolutely, yeah, I do. Okay, so I had a really huge thing happen to me at the grocery store at the Walgreens. There was this lady I kept running into, her and her children, and she just kept stopping and talking to me, and she just kept bothering me, kind of. So I stopped and talked to her for a few minutes, and then I ran into her on the line, and then she happened to be one car away from me. So then I was like, all right, I'm listening. So I go over and I hand her my phone number because I just felt like she needed something. So I, she texts me saying, hey, this is Kimberly. you know. So this is what I wrote to her, and then I'm going to tell you what she wrote to me. I said, um, it was very wonderful talking to you today. I don't know. I just felt like you needed something, and I didn't want you to walk away with having regret for not asking me for my number. Life happens for a reason, and each person that we come in contact leaves a foothold or a footprint on our souls. I hope that your day is absolutely beautiful, and I look forward to talking to you in the future. So her text message later responded with, what beautiful words, not going to lie, my life is and has been missing something. Everything does happen for a reason, and I absolutely look forward to speaking with you and your beautiful daughter. Hmm. And so now we're starting conversations about God, and that she just feels like she's missing something in life, and she's here from New York, and it's a very different change, because New York is very dark and dim and ugly and not nice people, and I'm the only person in the state of Florida that has spoke to her since she got here in 2017 with kind words. That's interesting. You know, the darker it is around you, the less light people need to be able to see. When it's pitch dark, you can just take the smallest of light and it'll be seen. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. So, I was, it's been like 10 years ago when I had an opportunity to share here at church how 
I was doing the drug trafficking and the Lord has saved me and I've gone through different churches with Joan and I've shared with believers. And as you were talking, it just dawned on me, God is orchestrating something. He's, uh, I'll be going to my professional association convention and my husband just said, go, I'm gonna stay with the kids, it's a big deal. And I've always seen it like, you should go because it will be important for immigration situations so that you can get someone high position that they can advocate for you and your professional association can. And I'm like, but this is my opportunity to share my testimony to so many non-believers. I mean, they're very left-wing oriented. Very, it's the American Psychological Association. It's not easy to talk to these people. They're super educated. They think they know everything. They, and they have such a huge need for Jesus. And it just dawned on me as you were talking, like, yes, I've been sharing my testimony, but it's always been pretty much to edify believers. Now, I think God really wants me there to speak to non-believers, and they will be shocked that I was in prison, that I did drug trafficking, what happened to me. They're interested in the psychological part of it, but there's no way I can share it without sharing Christ. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, the Lord is really doing something, orchestrating this whole thing, because like a few days ago, I was not even meant to go, and I, it's coming down clear on me, and it's going to be different to talk to so many non-believers in that particular situation who pretty much think they have it all figured out and stuff. So I'm just like asking you guys also for a prayer covering it up because covering up this whole situation in prayer because uh, yeah, that is so clear. We're not only supposed to share our testimony with believers, it's the non-believers that we should reach out to. And it's been years for me since I've done that. And I've shared with people maybe like you've shared with, like people who are in prison or their kids are in prison, but this is just going to be so different. So thank you. I think it'll come out natural. Yeah. It's, you know, if God's really working in them, sometimes it's just the easy conversation. I had an, a, a thing that I had to do an assessment for, for my health, and so the nurses asked me all kinds of questions, you know, have you ever, yeah. Uh, when was the last time? December 3rd, 1978. Have you ever, da-da-da-da, yeah. When was the last time? December 3rd, 1978. Hey, have you ever, she goes, don't, yeah. what happened? I mean, that's just, and what an open door. Are you ready to go, honey? My wife's back there peeking out. Hurry up, Tracy, get done. <laughs> back here with all these children, they're biting my ankles. No. So, Again, there is there's always this natural thing about our lives, but there is this supernatural thing about our lives. That if we're around, if we're around and in these dark situations and around this around our lives, it's there's something in us that is light. That's why I love when Jesus, you know, she's with the woman and he just. You know, so many things are different, but he said, you know what, if you knew the gift of God, I think that's a really, we need to have that in our hearts when we're around all that that we know doesn't lead to who Christ is. And so they're standing then, and all these grain fields around them, and he tells them, you need to lift up your eyes, you need to look, because the fields are white with harvest. Verse 36, it says, Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so the sower and the reaper may be glad together. So basically, Jesus is saying right now, let me tell you what's taking place. I sowed a seed, 
And together we're going to reap a reward. We're going to reap the reward of that seed. And then, as uh, Aaron said, so the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. Now here's what is, as I've been reading through this, I don't quite know what to think of verse 38. Because then Jesus says, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So I'm, I'm not sure if in this conversation that Jesus tell them, look, you went into Samaria and they were ripe for harvest. They were really ready to receive the gospel. If you would have just done it, but you didn't. But the woman did. And because of that, this is where we are. Now, I don't really know if that's exactly what happened, you know, that God draws, you know, whatever the case. God does what God draws. He draws people to himself. He uses Jesus to talk to the woman so that the woman can talk to them in town. And so, in my mind's eye, I've always had this picture that Jesus is seated, possibly talking to his disciples. In my mind, Sakar is to his back. He's not even looking there. He already knows what's going on. What you see is through these pathways of the field is these people walking, which they would have had on white robes probably, white clothing, who knows. But all these people are coming, and he's telling his disciples, you need to lift up your heads and you need to look more closely because the fields are white to harvest. So all these people from this town are coming out, and Jesus is connecting the dots. There's this natural harvest of crops, but there is something that we need to be aware of. That's the will of the Father, and the will of the Father is the harvest of the souls of men. And so the disciples, again, you know, they're just, you can't, you can't fault them. They're, they're just, in their mind, they're passing through Samaria. There's not many, they're just going here to do that. After church, I'm going to Lowe's. I've got to pick something up at Lowe's, and then I'm going to go here and do this, and then I'm going to go home. But is God going to do anything? Maybe he's going to do something in that whole scenario that I'm aware of. So we need to be a little bit more aware of our surroundings. Were they expecting this to happen? Nope. And yet, here they are. So, for us, what I want us to think about and consider and pray about uh, is, Lord, just cause me to be a little more aware of my surroundings. Help me not be so focused on just accomplishing things. Help me be more aware of my surroundings, of what you might be doing around me. And then, like, um, yeah, like, thank you. You know, sometimes my mind just, it, it goes, it's short circuit, you know. Every once in a while to my wife, I'll go, that's my, um, like Angelique, she found herself there. And, and what she did and what she said wasn't complicated. I've been in places and just made short comments and then went away, but who knows what was taking place. So I think that in life, we're going to find ourselves at places a lot of times. Maybe not aware of what's going on, but you will find yourself there in that place.
So kind of be aware of that. Cognizant that God is... If, if you're in that place, God's already done something. He's already been involved. So the next step for you is pretty simple. It's, Lord, I, don't have no, I have no idea what to say, so as I open my mouth, just fill it with your words. Amen? Let's stand.